The world is trying to tell us today there's no difference between a man and a woman. But the Bible says that the God of all creation decided before I was formed that I would be the man that I am today. He didn't make a mistake. The Bible says he made them male and female and he created them to do specific things. We need to get back to the blueprint of the Bible which says that men are created for a purpose, women are created for a purpose, they're different purposes, but they're equal before God, and if they both do their purpose, then things will be decent and in order. Why is this a shame today, even in so many churches? I do not know. But it's a passion of mine to continue to speak about, because the foundation of society is what? The family. When the family crumbles, society follows in its way. So my challenge to you today, one of them is, will you stand in the gap? Will you be different? Will you be willing to be different than even those who you know who are in the church? Because it's not about what your church does, it's about what the Bible says. Today, um, I was looking back at my uh, sermon archive, and I realized it's been about a year since I've been here, and uh, we were in Ruth chapter 1 um, at that time, so we're going to go to Ruth chapter 2 today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ruth 2, that would be awesome. Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to let you know about some exciting things. Um, I know that 2020 um, was a really hard year for all of us. I think there was a point in the spring and summer of this past year when I was in my home for 82 straight days, something I never thought would ever happen. And if you had told me when I left the Potter's house on March 13th of 2020, something I will never forget because it was Friday the 13th, Coincidence, I'm not sure, but the point being that I really had to learn to trust God on a daily basis like never before. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God, and sometimes he makes us do that because he knows we won't do it on our own. And so, all that to say, things have changed quite a bit for me this year. I, in uh, March, of course, I was not able to go into um, studios of WJQ to record my podcast anymore, and so I started recording it from home, and God showed me some really good um, technical equipment for the purposes of my podcast, and so I moved the podcast home permanently and have been podcasting from home for almost a year now. And so I'm very thankful for that. I've been able to podcast now for 437 straight weeks, I believe. And so I'm very blessed by that and able to minister to people through that venue. So please, if you have the opportunity, go to my website, speakingforhim.com, 
and check out the Speaking for Him podcast, which posts every Wednesday. Um, also, just a note on that, we have a pretty exciting thing coming up starting a week from Wednesday, and that is uh, during this pandemic, I was able to get a bunch of my theater friends together, um, and we were able to put together a multi-voice reading of the Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and so over the next 10 weeks, starting March 3rd, I'll be sharing that on my podcast. So I think you'll be blessed by it. I've been listening to the episodes in preparation, and the production quality is very good, and so I'm very thankful for those that helped me with that, and excited to share that with you. All right, well, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we do so with gratitude, knowing that we do not deserve to be in your presence, but one who is perfect died on the cross, and now stands as an advocate for us and shows his hands and his feet and his side on our behalf. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that as the spring is coming and it shows us the newness of life, we are reminded of the truth through which all our faith flows, which is that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last time I think we, we kind of talked about the theme that man plans and God directs. You know, Elimelech in chapter 1 of Ruth went to Moab because there was a famine in the land in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he brings his family with him and they marry Moabitish women. So they marry outside of their faith. They step, they step outside of the will of God, and yet God sees fit to bless them to such a point that Ruth knows that when Naomi is ready to go back to Bethlehem, she wants to be with her. And she makes this declaration, do not entreat me to leave you, for I will go where you go. I will live where you live, I will die where you die, and there will I be buried. But the most important declaration she makes is this, your God will be my God. Because even as depressed as Naomi is, because she says, call me not Naomi at the end of chapter 1, call me Mara, for I went out full and came back empty, even as depressed as she was, her trust in the Lord, her trust in the God of Israel came through. And so Ruth is in a place that she's never been before, and now she's going to attempt to help her mother-in-law um, and to provide for her. We will read later in Ruth chapter 4. That her that Naomi's relatives said that Ruth was better to her than ten sons. And we're going to see a little bit of that today as we dig into Ruth chapter 2. Keep in mind that I will have some cross-references, so make sure that you are ready to search the scriptures with me and, and share those 
when the time comes. But first, Ruth is directed by God to the field of Boaz. Now, in this culture, and we will, we will read about that in a few moments, in this culture it was common to go and glean in the fields of others when you were poor and then pick up the extra stuff that gets dropped by the way. But there were probably a lot of fields around there, but she happens to go to the field of Boaz. Let's read the first seven verses of Ruth chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I might find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and claimed and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hand was to light upon a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. So, in this first part, we see Naomi has a kinsman of her husband, and it says of him, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. So we know this is a relative of her husband Elimelech. And then Ruth says, let me go into the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I might find grace. So she must have familiarized herself with this Jewish custom whereby she could help provide for Naomi. Naomi was probably too old for this type of work at this time and um, Ruth says, I'm going to help provide for you with the Lord's help. And I think that's so good because the Proverbs say this, despise not thy mother when she is old. We are living in a culture today where we see, I think it's 2 Timothy 3 happening before our eyes. A generation who knew not God who are disobedient to parents, who are lovers of themselves. But we serve a God who says, let all things be done decently and in order. And one of the things that needs to be done decently and in order, we need to care for our families. I'm the oldest of 11 living children, 12 total children, and I have said through the years, that if I have anything to say about it, short of catastrophic illness, my parents will never be in a nursing home. 
because it is our job as their children to care for them. I understand the need for nursing homes. My grandmother has dementia, and I'm grateful that Rest Haven Homes is there for her. But I feel like there are too many people in nursing homes today because their children are lovers of themselves. And that's a cultural shift that we as the church have embraced. It's a problem. And so, he says, let me, Ruth says, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after whom, after him in whom sight I may find grace. So we see what? We see a hard work ethic. We see humility in Ruth. Something that we can all learn from, from. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a portion of the field, <coughs> the portion of the field that was owned by Boaz. Was that by accident? No. It was the providence of God. Benjamin Franklin said at the founding of this country that we know for certain that God governs in the affairs of men. Without that, he said, the United States would never have been founded. Have we made mistakes? Yes. Are we a perfect nation? No. But if we forget God, then we're in big trouble. And so it reiterates twice in this little portion that he was with the kindred of Elimelech. That's going to come into play later in this book because Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. The one who is going to redeem Ruth and Naomi and take on the responsibility for them as the law requires. So we know that Ruth is humble. We know she's God-fearing. We know she wants to serve her mother. And now we're going to learn about Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. Now can you imagine a boss who is able to connect to his employees on this level. They say, the Lord, he says, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless thee. That is the kind of environment that you want to work in. I can honestly say that John Boy, the superintendent of the Potter's House, who hired me to work there, is that kind of boss. And I'm very blessed to be able to work for him. Then Boaz notices Ruth. Like right away he notices her. So she must be working hard. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Who is she? Because I've never seen her before. And the servant said, it is the Moabitish damsel. that came back with Naomi out of Moab. 
And then he explains that she asked for work. She asked if she could glean in the fields. And what does it say? So she came and has continued even from the morning until now. Though she tarried a little in the house. So it sounds like she's been working all day. A long day of hard labor. Only taking a brief break. Showing her industriousness. The New Testament says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. And that's the kind of person Ruth was. So what do we glean from this first point? First of all, we glean that God directs us Even sometimes when we don't feel his direction. If you had asked me when I graduated from college, would you ever work in a school? I would have told you absolutely not. Because I was homeschooled virtually my entire life, including college, because I did correspondence courses, and I thought the last place I will ever be is in a school. But God laughed and said, watch what my plan is. And I'm very happy at the Potter's house. And knowing him, he may do another change in my life like that. You never know. But the point is, God directs us. The second thing is that God rewards hard work. Why why do you think Boaz noticed Ruth? I think it was because she was working hard and perhaps, perhaps as hard or even harder than some of the reapers. And he noticed this person who was out there working and he noticed her character right off. And so he asks about her and gets this report of the great work that she's done. Now we are supposed to work in such a way as to please the Lord, not men. But what a wonderful testimony it is to be able to have someone say of us that they're a hard worker. They do what they're asked to do and maybe even go above and beyond. So these are important things for us to be aware of. Now I just wanted to look at a cross reference kind of talking about this practice of having uh, people come and glean in the fields. Let's look at Deuteronomy 24:18 to 22. Deuteronomy 24:18 to 22. If you get it, if someone could read it for us, that would be great. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is, that is why I commanded you to do this. When you are harvesting in the field and, and overlook a sheep, and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all, in all the work of your hands. When you, when you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave that for me. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. God is a God of repetition, is he not? He just made that, he, he lists that commandment twice. And he says that you are to do this, you're to leave the grain, you're to leave the vines for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And Ruth was in effect at this point all three of those things. And so this was a fulfillment of the Deuteronomy command. And the fact that the, that the servant who was in charge of the reapers knew this and allowed this to happen tells me that Boaz was a man who followed the law of God. And for the men in here, if I could just encourage you, this world is in desperate need of men who will stand for the law of God. The world is trying to tell us today there's no difference between a man and a woman. But the Bible says that the God of all creation decided before I was formed that I would be the man that I am today. He didn't make a mistake. The Bible says he made them male and female and he created them to do specific things. We need to get back to the blueprint of the Bible, which says that men are created for a purpose, women are created for a purpose, they're different purposes, but they're equal before God, and if they both do their purpose, then things will be decent and in order. Why is this a shame today, even in so many churches? I do not know. But it's a passion of mine to continue to speak about because the foundation of society is what? The family. When the family crumbles, society follows in its wake. So my challenge to you today, one of them is, will you stand in the gap? Will you be different? Will you be willing to be different than even those who you know who are in the church? Because it's not about what your church does, it's about what the Bible says. All right, moving on to our next point. Well, actually, I have a, a story to share about God's provision, thinking about Ruth um, being directed into the field of Boaz. It says, one of the many interesting stories in the Bible is that of Elijah and the ravens. You remember that God sent ravens to bring his servant food when he was at the brook Hiding from Ahab. Sometimes we seem to think that such wonderful things happened long ago, but they do not happen anymore. But in this we are mistaken. God still cares for his people. He is always near when they need him. David Brainerd was a famous missionary who went to the Indians to preach the gospel. As a result of his labors, many of the Indians found their savior. Brainerd was a man of prayer. In his diary, he tells of his experiences on his many travels, and he often mentions how the Lord heard and answered his prayer. One day, on one of his many journeys to visit an Indian tribe, 
he was overtaken by a severe storm. He looked for a place of shelter and eventually found one in a hollow log of a very large tree. While there, he prayed for the Indians and also that the Lord would take care of him and his need. When mealtime came, he was hungry, but there was nothing to eat. He noticed a squirrel approaching the tree. The squirrel chattered a while. When the little animal disappeared, Brainerd noticed that he had left a few nuts behind. The missionary ate these nuts. Three days, the storm continued, and for three days, Brainerd remained in the log. Each day, the squirrel came to deposit some nuts at the entrance. David Brainerd knew the Lord had sent that squirrel. So, what, it, what an amazing God we serve. Ruth 2.8. Ruth 2.8. Ruth is exhorted by Boaz and encouraged to stay with him. Ruth 2.8 says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my, uh, hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence. But abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go on to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done <laughs> unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left <laughs> thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. So we see that Boaz, he provides for her, and he tells her that he has told the young men not to touch her. He says, oh, you're protected. I won't allow anyone to harm you. But I think the greatest thing perhaps Boaz does is to encourage her in her faith in the Lord God of Israel. Because he says, It has been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left father and mother and land and come unto a new people. And then he says, The Lord recompense thy work and give a full reward to thee because you came to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. She, she may very well have been getting discouraged. She's in a foreign land. She doesn't know anyone. She, she's in this new faith journey with the God of Israel who she pledged to serve. 
And he says, continue to do that what you're doing. Your, your testimony is known. People can see that you are the fruit. What does this say to us today? Is there anybody that you know who is younger in the faith than you who needs encouragement? Who needs to know to keep on keeping on? You know, as I went through uh, this Pilgrim's Progress project that I mentioned earlier, one of the things that struck me over and over again is the people that Pilgrim meets on his journey. And some build him up, but a lot of them tear him down. And there's even a point when he is with Faithful and he falls down and Faithful comes and picks him up again. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because if one falls, the other is there to pick them up again. I, I heard it said years ago and it constantly goes through my mind that every person Specifically men, but I think women can apply this too. Every person should have a Paul that they are learning from and a Timothy that they are teaching. If you have, a, if you have Pauls and Timothys in your life, it can help you to have a balanced life. Because you can realize, hey, I need to be an example to this person, and I have this other godly example whom I can follow. Paul knew he wasn't perfect, but he also wasn't afraid to say, imitate me. Because he added this proviso, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. We need not to be afraid to give that encouragement. Can we look at Psalm 91.4 Psalm 91.4 Another verse about taking refuge in God. Again, if someone finds it, if they could go ahead and share it with us, that would be great. He will, come, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So this image of being under God's wings is actually repeated many times in Scripture. Jesus himself will use it when he talks to Jerusalem and weeps over them. He said, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen cares for her children, but you would not. God wants us to be close to him. He wants to draw us closer to himself, to protect us, to give us shelter. The proverb says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Do we believe, though, that the word of God is a strong tower? So many people that are preaching the word of God today, they mold it to their own beliefs. 
And they say, well, it didn't really say that, or it said that, but it didn't really mean that. Do they even realize that they're actually saying the very same thing that the devil said to Adam and Eve in the garden? The devil's cunning. He doesn't necessarily want you to turn away from God so much as he wants you to have a false form of godliness. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The power to live a godly life is found in only one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there is none. A young member of parliament, while making his maiden speech in the House of Commons, was overcome by intense nervousness. Gradually, however, his shyness in addressing the House vanished, and he said what he had to say and sat down. Then his nervousness returned, and he felt that he had blundered. Just as he was undergoing this misery, a note was passed to him with only two words. You'll do. They were initiated by the greatest statesman of the day, the member kept these kind words as a treasured souvenir and a perpetual encouragement. Are there not many of us who are needing encouragement today in the spiritual life, encouragement to read, to pray, and to act? So may we encourage one another. Next section, Ruth is protected and given provision from God through Boaz. Ruth 2, 15 to 18. Ruth 2, 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded the young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had, and gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So Ruth is not only now gleaning the leftovers, she's getting extra. And I just think, isn't that just like our God? The Bible says... Uh, that God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Amen. So in the Hebrew, an ephah of barley is about a bushel. So a significant amount. So Ruth is coming back. And yet, she was still able to work for it and glean it. They, they didn't hand it to her directly. It was just a silent, anonymous act of charity. And I think that the picture here is so wonderful. And she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave it to her, and gave it to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. 
So she goes home immediately and gives it over to her mother-in-law and shares her bounty. No shred of selfishness in Ruth whatsoever. Matter of fact, I believe her very purpose in going to glean was to make sure that Naomi was provided for. So, my prayer for us is that we would look for ways to help one another. I think one of the reasons that our government has so much power today is because the church has failed in its primary mission, which is to care for the fatherless and the widow and keep oneself unspotted from the world. The thing is, when when the church gives, when Christ's followers give, what does the Bible say about them? It says, give as you purpose in your heart. And he says, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. We're not supposed to give out of compulsion. And, and the idea that we can just increase government programs, raise taxes, that's compulsory giving. That's not from the heart of God. This giving that Ruth experienced was not from a heart of obligation. It was from a heart of generosity, from a man who loved the Lord God with all his heart. That's the difference. Let's look at Romans 12, 9 to 13. Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in the hope, patient and in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. That could be a sermon series right there. But basically, what Paul is saying is abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and as you do, it will come out in your actions. You'll love one another, you'll be generous, you'll provide for the needs of others, and then things will be done, as I've said before, decently and in order. The problem is, often when it comes to helping others, we say, somebody else will do it. And the reality is, if God places a burden on your heart, it's because he wants you to do it. I was a young teen when I first felt God's call into ministry. And it took several years in the prodding of my father and some other friends to realize that I needed to fully surrender and see what God would do with that. And I'm so thankful for the opportunities that God has given me, both through jail ministry, which we have not been able to do over the past year, but also through the podcast and working at Potter's House and traveling and preaching the Word of God whenever possible. 
even that hasn't turned out the way I necessarily envisioned, but God has his purposes and plans. And he knows that which he wants to do. And I, I think about these unknown people that ministered to people like D.L. Moody and others who maybe they didn't feel at the moment that they made a big impact, but a person who was saved under their earnest message went on to be a world changer for the Lord Jesus. I think of Andrew, my namesake in the Bible. He's not mentioned a lot. But the first mention we hear of him is when he runs runs up to get his brother Peter and he says, Peter, we found the Messiah. And that's the cry of my heart to say to people whenever I get the chance to say, I found the Messiah. And he loves you. And he wants you to do great things for him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do work which the Lord hath before ordained for us. So that's one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Of course, I have hundreds of favorite scriptures. But just the idea that Andrew hasn't heard from much in the Bible, but he brought Peter to Jesus, and Peter became a great leader in the early church. Because Andrew was faithful. For you moms of little kids, may I encourage you that your job is one of the most important jobs ever because you are preparing arrows from your quiver to be shot out into the world and be difference makers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Never let anybody downplay that. I, I, there was a mother friend of mine on Facebook who said that she loved being home with her baby, but she always felt like she wasn't doing enough. And I said, I think largely that's a lie of our culture because our culture says that's not enough. But God says that for a woman to be a keeper at home, a lover of their husband, and a lover of their children is imperative to what? To the word of God not being blasphemed. So, the early American Indians have a unique practice of training young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, Scouting and fishing skills, he was put to one final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away 
from the security of the family and of the tribe. But on that night he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. When he took the blindfold off, he was in the middle of a thick woods, and he was terrified. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke, and the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy saw the flowers, trees, and the outline of the path. Then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was his father. He had been there all night. And that was from Our Daily Bread. Even when we feel alone, the Lord has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And what a wonderful God that we serve, that that is the truth. All right, our final section today, Ruth 2. 19 to 23. Naomi sees God's goodness. Remember, Naomi was bitter. She said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. But we will see her starting to come out of that in this passage here. Ruth 2.19. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wottest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law, with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name, with whom I wrought today, is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left of his kindness to the living and the dead. And, and Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth also the Moabite said, he said to me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, and that they meet thee, and that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So we see a couple things here. We see that Naomi blesses the Lord. And she says, she's thankful to Boaz, who has not forgotten kindness to the living and to the dead. But I think she's also thanking the Lord. The Lord to whom she said before brought her back empty now he was filling her cup again. And then Naomi reinforces Boaz's entreaty and says, stay in that field. Don't go to any other field. You'll be provided for. And so it says, she kept faith fast by the means of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest. She honored her mother. Once again, we see her honoring her mother. That is one of the Ten Commandments. And it's the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That your days may be long upon the earth. It's important for us to honor our parents no matter what life stage we are at. 
I don't think honoring your parents has to do with their faith either. I think honoring unbelieving parents can be one of the ways that God can bring them to himself. So we need to be countercultural big time in this respect. We need to honor our parents. If we can look at 2 Timothy 1, 16 to 18. 2 Timothy 1, 16 to 18. Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, um, who often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he was in the room, he sought me out very diligently and found me. So Paul is talking about how God worked through the saints to provide for him. To provide for him. How this brother came and sought him out. To provide for his needs. And I just think of all the deliberate things, the very specific things that Ruth did to provide for Naomi. She refused to let Naomi leave her, she refused to turn her back on Naomi. She made a full commitment to being the daughter that her mother in law needed. And she turned her back on everything. Family, house, land. She turned her back on it all and went to a foreign country. And then, when she got into the foreign country, she followed her mother-in-law's direction to stay with Boaz. And I just think it's so amazing that as imperfect as Naomi was, because she was imperfect, as are we all, she still had a testimony that impacted her daughter-in-law. To the point that he that she becomes a part of the family tree of our Lord and Savior. She begets Obed later on, who begets Jesse, who begets David, whose throne is established forever. Why? Because the one who now sits on it is one who will never vacate it ever again. And for that, we can all say, praise the Lord. My prayer for you is that you would come to know the Lord in a very real way if you have not already. Thing is, you can know the words of this book. But unless you come to know the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, it's not going to matter. There's a story that I remember from a few years ago. I heard a preacher talk about this. And he was in Israel. And he visited a scribe whose job it was to write down the Psalms. Day after day, he would transcribe the Psalms over and over again. And this preacher talked to this guy and he says, he says, it must be such a blessing for you to transcribe the word of the one true God every single day, day after day. 
And he said, well, they're poetic words, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe a word of it. See, there's no power in the 23rd Psalm itself. The power is that we know that the one of whom the 23rd Psalm is written is the one true God. We know that Jesus is the eternal God before the foundations of the world because he said to the Pharisees one day, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How can you know or how can he have known of you and how do you know him? And he said, before Abraham was, I, I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am, because he is eternally existed outside of time. He stepped into time for you and me. But before that, he was not bound by time. The Bible says that one day we will look on him whom we have pierced. And so that means that he has volunteered to stay in that body for all eternity. For you and for me. I pray that you will accept him if you have not already. The Bible says that if you do not accept him, you are condemned. But it also says, whom the Son therefore shall set free, he will be free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this story of Ruth and so many practical applications for us. Lord, we pray that we would be uh, doers of the word and not hearers only, and that we would uh, care for those around us with love and compassion, that they would see Christ in us. For you have said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.